You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. Halfway through 2021, the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, or the ATSB, put out a call for assistance for information from the aviation community. What they are looking for is feedback or more information about any ground handling incidents on Robinson-type helicopters, especially focused on the aft talcone bulkhead or tailrotor gearbox areas. And that is how this episode came about. If you think back to whenever you have taken someone for their first helicopter ride, especially in small machines, there is an amount of trepidation in their mind. Are you sure this thing is safe? Has to be going through their mind, even if they aren't one of the ones to ask that out loud. And when you look at helicopters as a collection of parts, it still amazes me that it all works together correctly even today. A big part of the reason that helicopters are so safe and that anyone would insure them is because of the rigour that has gone into investigating previous accidents and incidents. Organisations such as the ATSB, NTSB, AAIB and others have built up decades of experience retracing the events that lead up to an accident. Over time, those lessons have been incorporated back into designs and regulations. Rob Chopin is our guest today. Rob has been fixing helicopters since 1988, and for the last 14 years has been working at the Australian Transport Safety Bureau. In today's episode, Rob gives us background into the ATSB's current request for information about helicopter ground handling damage, and then we chat a bit about the accident investigation process that results in a report and how that comes together. Rob, can you tell us a bit about the role that you're filling at the ATSB and I guess what an average day or week possibly looks for you in that role? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my name's Rob Chopin. I'm my current position. I'm the Manager of Transport Safety with the ATSB in our Brisbane field office. And I've been managing there for about five years and been with the ATSB for about 14 years now. My background, I'm a helicopter laymey um, uh, and fixed wing and helicopter pilot. So our day-to-day life, I guess, at, at the ATSB is but when we're not actually on, physically on an accident site, where it, it's always involved in follow-up on little leads that we find along the way through accidents or incidents. So we're, we're always looking for people who have something interesting to talk about, might be able to help the investigation further, or we've, we've got people in the lab looking at different components, or we've got our electronics guys trying to recover data from chips out of GPSs or mobile phones, or download black boxes. Uh, we've got human factors people working in the way in the background on um, different aspects of the investigations. So there's always lots and lots of little things like that going on in the background. Me for a manager, it's life's a little, little less interesting than what it is for the investigator, but it's basically about 
making helping the team keep on track and coordinating all the different investigators with their individual investigations and each person, each investigator with the ATSB would have an average of two or three investigations that they are in charge of, so the title's investigator in charge. And, and some of them can have probably about five or six or more in the background where they're, they're in different roles supporting the invest other investigations that aren't theirs to lead. So whether they're in a laying type role, engineering ops, as in pilot, fixed rotary wing, heavy debt, what have you, air traffic control, human factors. So Everyone tends to keep busy every day. Every day is different, which is great. But um, they also every day can can be very, very busy. And at, at 14 years, you must be part of the furniture now in terms of uh, how far and wide have you travelled? Like, I guess when we talk about ATC, you know, Australian ATC looks after a, a very large area. As far as the ATSB, do you... How far do you travel? Do you get pulled into investigations for neighbouring countries? What's the sort of range of, of travel that you get? Sure. So basically anywhere in the world where it's um, the registered aircraft, so Australian registered aircraft, um, we can go and investigate. Or if there are Australian people on board, we can they'd be made a party into that particular investigation through whichever country happens to be doing that investigation at the time. I... Investigation-wise, I've only been um, outside of Australia. I've only done investigations up into New Guinea, done a, a couple up there now. I originally pre-joined the bureau. I used to work up there, so I always do enjoy going back up to PNG. But, but we've had people do work through um, Indonesia, Asia, uh, in the US. We've had investigators on on site at um, Heathrow when the triple seven went in there. So we, we do travel a fair bit, but um, obviously not so much with the way the world is at the moment. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm not sure what constraints that puts on investigations. Mm. Something we can talk about later on. But yeah, so you, so you mentioned Papua New Guinea. Uh, and, and again, quickly in your bio there, not to gloss over, you did 19 years as a, as a helicopter engineer, which I guess later on we start talking about the, the details. That's your sort of background in terms of being on, on the tools and, and, and working on the, on the aircraft. So, yeah, look, you know, it's a hell of an experience to, to bring to the party when you've got, you know, an accident there to, to look at. And I guess what especially you want to cover in, in, in this chat is the recent call for information that the ATSB has put out for Robinson-type aircraft. So I was just going to see if you can give a bit of background on terms of, you know, what the request is, what you're looking for, and how that fits back into either a particular investigation or, or just in general? Yeah, no problem. Um, just for, for your listeners, a bit of a background to this investigation. So this was a uh, Robinson R44, a Raven 1. The accident occurred over in Broome in Western Australia back in um, the 4th of July 2020, so last year. Uh, there are four people on board this helicopter time, so the pilot and three passengers, now just going out for a bit of a, a local scenic float. When the helicopter was departing, or it was basically doing a towering takeoff out of where it was coming, uh, where it was leaving from, it was observed that the tail rotor gearbox and the tail rotor and the tail rotor assembly, so the stabilizers, all separated from the helicopter when it was about estimated to be about 55 feet in the air. And then ended up in a, a, a fatal accident, unfortunately, with two people um, passing away in the accident and two people seriously injured. So the investigation is still ongoing for us, so we're about just over a year into that now. 
a lot of work's been going on in the background, particularly around these these components that separated from the helicopter. And a lot of it, uh, analysis and examination of the, the whole aircraft itself. But this call out to the industry that you were just mentioning, what we did, it was only about two weeks ago, we sent out a call out asking for responses in, in regards to this. And what, what it's all about is we've had a, a detailed examination of the Tarotor Gearbox and all those associated components and the, the rear casting. And we've also got in other Robinson helicopter parts from other operators who provided them so we can have a look at what other uh, how these things look like in normal operation which has been fantastic but we're still working through it all we haven't been able to pinpoint exactly where this all originated from so what whatever's led to the separation of these components off the back of the helicopter and, and unfortunately due to the disruptive nature of the accident as you can imagine any accident you go to working through the examination analysis process we may not necessarily uh, reveal what the specific point of failure was. So to assist with this, we've gone to other agencies like agencies around the world, like the NTSB and the UK AAIB as examples, and, and had a look at other accidents that appear to be a little similar and um, see what they've been able to find. But all the ones to date, our like agencies have done extensive examinations on these aircraft and analysed what they've had and they haven't been able to identify any contributing factors. So basically to help us better understand the nature of this accident, we're going out to all the Robbie 22, 44 and 66 pilots, operators, lanes, etc., who may have any knowledge of damage that may have happened in that aft tail cone bulkhead area or um, tail rotor gearbox input cartridge damage to, to touch base with us. So what that's all about is we've had we've had anecdotal evidence of where there has been damage to the back end of helicopters and this has resulted in that rear casting failure or the different things happening in the, uh, that rear end of the helicopter. And the best people to talk about this is the industry. Now, I know a lot of people out, people out there may know about these things have happened and they might be quite nervous about coming forward with information now, you know, as time goes by, we're worried about not reporting stuff. But just to give a, if I can, just for a second, a quick overview of what our, our act that the HSB works to, it's called the Transport Safety Investigation Act. And in the regulations in that talk about um, reporting, what needs to be reported to the ATSB and what's notifiable and what's not, or what is notifiable, I should say. So, and what is notifiable things uh, for aircraft that, basically from the point that they've been prepared for a flight until the point that the aircraft has landed and passengers and crew have disembarked the aircraft. So it's during that period. If damage has happened during ground handling, so outside of that, you know, basically that flight phase, that's not a reportable matter. And there may be situations where damage has happened to helicopters during or Robinson helicopters during this ground handling time, but that actually isn't normally reportable to us through the act. So just to, to jump in there, Rob, so you're talking sure. things like um, hangar rash, uh, so striking a, you know, we've got multiple helicopters striking a, like a tail fin on the way in and out of hangars. Are you after anything in the in the rear section of the helicopter or are you really focusing on the, on that gearbox section? What's the, what's the scope of, of what you're looking for there? Well, while the call's out there, we're happy to take on board anything useful that people may have or that people may think is useful. 
in particular, what we are interested in is that, that rear casting area and the tailor over gearbox input cartridge and how it mounts onto the, that casting itself. But, um, but look, to be quite honest, if, if anyone has anything that they think might be useful, they're more than happy to hear about this. Uh, and also, anything that is provided to assist our investigation is considered to be protected, evidence, uh, protected under our Transport Safety Investigation Act as well. So I might, I might take you off track a little bit just to talk about that and then, then we'll come back to it because this is a, a really interesting thing about the ATSB in terms of where it sits in legislation and, and the powers it has. Uh, I, I can talk a little bit just from the investigations I've been in, but can you describe, I, I guess not too much legislation, but where does it sit and how much power does it have to keep its uh, you know, evidence or people anything people give to the ATSB, how strong is that kind of seal of, of protection? Well, I'd say, <laughs> call it excellent, but then be quite honest. So just a little bit about the ATSB. So we're an independent statutory organisation and we sit outside other government departments, so we, we sit by ourselves. We, we still have to report to a minister, obviously, being a government department. But, but So we're, we're, uh, we're um, led by a commission, so we've got three commissioners plus a chief commissioner and then in the ATSB underneath that. And we work to that Transport Safety Investigation Act. And through that act, any information that is provided to the ATSB during an investigation is considered to be restricted information. And with that comes a throwing out of power, as in the fact that we, we can't readily just go and pass this information out to people, like if the media or anyone that's come and get information, no, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to get outside the organisation. But the only time that our information may be used is in support of a coronial investigation, but as part of that, our reports will support a coronial, but cannot, our reports can't be used in civil or um, criminal proceedings. So the magistrate may want additional information, but, um, but then we balance it up whether it's going to improve transport safety or not, whether we provide that that information. So we, we treat it very, very seriously. But along with that comes, with the protections on that comes that requirement for people to be quite forthcoming with information. And uh, I hate making it sound so official, but, but basically we're, we're not out there to try and pull people's licenses or anything like that, take uh, regulatory action. We're there to prevent prevent accidents from happening again and identify safety issues with that, that goal of keeping everybody safe in aviation. And that's why we, we need the people who are being involved who, who know what's going on to, to be quite open with us and frank with us in discussions so we can get to the matters, uh, bottom of the matters quite quickly and efficiently and get that safety information back out to back out to industry. Yeah, and that's pretty much where I was going to go is that if my kind of the feedback I've had is that that conversation with ATSB, yeah, whatever you say there doesn't filter back to police or, or whatever or CASA or anyone else who might be investigating something. It's sort of a, it's almost like a priest confession <laughs> type thing where it's, exactly. it's it's completely sealed off from, from anything else. Yeah, so we, you, when we are doing an investigation and we'll talk about um, when we unfortunately have to attend fatal accidents, the, the police will be there representing the coroner. CASA may come in and do some sort of investigation as well, but the ATSB investigation is the ATSB's investigation. We're not supporting the police or the CASA investigations. We're doing our own. And 
saying the police and the um, and council don't have any powers to compel it to, to take any of our information. But what is good though is we um, if we, we might be able to use some of the police statements or anything like that, then we are able to obtain those to support our investigations. But the important thing is what what is provided to the ATSB is um, yeah kept fairly tight with us. Awesome. Okay, well, let's head back into it. I just thought, yeah, it's a really interesting kind of side to the ADSB. I just wanted to sort of quickly touch on there. Sure. Okay, yeah. so so in terms of, yeah, people coming forward with, you know, instances of ground handling damage to the back of the helicopter, uh, and then I guess that may just help, again, as a data set for you guys to feed into possible scenarios for um, that particular accident or, or accidents uh, related to it. Yeah, and look, it's really important just to highlight here as well that we're not saying that this accident has happened from this helicopter sustaining ground handling damage or that damage that there has been damage caused to this aircraft or contributed to it from ground handling. It's it's just something we've heard about. It's something that's um, interesting that may damage that back end of the aircraft, and we'd really like to get comparisons to yeah try and see what we're looking at and see whether we, we've got another part that follows so, at this point in time, the investigation has not identified anything specifically. So that's, again, why we are doing this. So we're just 100% we're not saying it's the ground handling damage. But look, if people do have any components or anything that's useful, please let us know. And if you do have something, we'll probably seek to recover those from from um, people out in the industry so we can have a more detailed look at and back at uh, our, our labs in Canberra. I remember when this uh, accident happened, the, the, the general scuttlebutt or the talking was not, not so much about the accident, but just uh, a general nervousness about that area of the helicopter You know, after that. So I know for, for quite a period after, there's a, a much more detailed pre-flights on the, uh, on the aft gearbox for the, for the Robinsons. But uh, I'll link to this, I guess, call for information in the show notes um, when this episode goes out. But other than that, Rob, what's the, the best way, uh, you know, I guess the, the website will have contact details. But what's the best way for people to feed this information back into you? Yeah, look, the easiest way. We've got a 1800 number, and I'll give that to you. So it's 1800 011 034. If you can call through on that number, that'd be awesome. Or we've got an email address too that's really, um, that might be more useful to people if they don't do the phone call thing. And it's um, ATSB info, so that's all one word, at atsb.gov.au. Tops. All right. And, and again, if you jump off the computer and, and you're on the website for this, I'll have those those links there uh, for all that information. Okay. So if there's nothing else you want to cover on, on that one, uh, and again, we've got plenty of time there if there's things you want to sort of draw out. Uh, but then, yeah, I was going to talk on, I guess, move on to that accident investigation process. Uh, we spoke a bit beforehand about how it goes from on scene with the aircraft uh, through to ATSB a final report where there's pictures of parts of a, of a helicopter with scratches on it or you know a bolt missing or a bolt cracked and just some of that chain of how it goes from the final parts back to a probable cause of, of accident uh, so yeah well i guess that's a, <laughs> a big question but yeah was it was there anything else you wanted to, to talk about before we left the uh the call for information oh no i'm pretty happy with that yeah awesome yeah okay so yeah, it's just fascinating for me as a non-engineer and, and without knowing material science and, and the, the the metal fatigue that happens and things. But yeah, how does that 
is there a set process? Is there a bit of an art to it in terms of looking at the at the the broken parts to trace it back? How do you go about those steps? I can't go tell you all my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, I'll just step you through right from when we would get that initial call and um, through to the final result, if that's okay. Please, yes, exactly. Yeah. Sure. So. We've got our uh, safety reporting team in Canberra who field all the um, accident and incident phone calls, or out of hours it would be one of the investigators would be receiving those. So what they'll do, that, that information will come in with it from the police or whoever that comes to us, and then we'll evaluate it within the, the management team about what to do when we launch a team. So we, we launch a team up in the uh, accident site, and the team's usually made up of specialists, and um, we'll talk about a helicopter one. Being helicopters, we get, they would have, usually try and have a, a helicopter pilot, um, a helicopter lady, and then preferably an engineer of some sort, and what other special things we might, depending on where we are or what the machine is, who, who else we would bring in, into that team. We do have standard go teams ready to go each week who are ready to walk out, out the door to, well, and I say minutes, notes, but very quickly. When the team's on site, we usually spend a, the first part. What we'll do is make sure that safe, the site is safe. So obviously we don't want to go in that we don't want to damage any more people on an accident site. So um, we'll have a team go through and they'll be looking for all the dangerous things like pressure vessels or tyres, oleos, all those things that can, can cause harm to people. And do our best to to eliminate those risks. Then you've got to remember when an accident has actually happened, not not necessarily where we are down there that the main refuge is. It's happened a fair way before that. So we need to start working from back there and work our way back into the main wreckage. We'll have a team of usually rangers going through the the, um, the wreckage because they're um, quite quite skilled at understanding systems and knowing how these things are put together. And I'll be working through looking for any signs of things that main things that are missing like major components of the aircraft. We want to make sure that the whole aircraft actually arrived there. If anything's not there, we need to then go and start looking for that. We need to see if things are missing, like, like bolts or hardware, anything like that. Fire, if you've got fire damage, try and possibly detect where that's come from or get a sense of whether they, we hadn't talking about an impact fire. Or... So we're looking for all these little clues along the way, just in, in these initial parts of doing the on-site. We'll also plot the whole accident site to, so later on when we get back back into the office, we can lay it all out, and then it really starts to build that full picture of um, how, how the aircraft has arrived at the accident site. Then we start breaking things down a little bit further. When we, usually we'll be on an accident site for maybe three, four days, depending how big how big the site is and uh, how complex the aircraft is. It might, may go out a lot longer than that as well. So we spend that time, as much time as we need to on site to take care of that, to document everything we can. Unlike what you might see on some of the TV shows, we don't necessarily bundle the whole aircraft up and take it back and reassemble it back in the hangar, but we'll, we'll tend to try and evaluate the aircraft on the site and figure out what's going to be useful for the ongoing investigation and what, what what we feel might need a little bit more of a detailed examination of, et cetera. So, and then we'll we'll take those items back to uh, whether it goes to Canberra or whether we end up going back to manufacture like an engine manufacturer's overhaul shop or something like that, where we might do a bit more detailed examination bits and pieces. In 
Canberra, we've got a very strong team of materials failures experts there. So with all their, their flash equipment down there, they're able to have a look at a lot of uh, the fracture surfaces and bits and pieces that we may identify on the site. Be able to have a, a bit more of a look at those to, to see if they can find any places where, for example, fatigue cracking might have originated from or if materials at the right spec that it should be for, for that particular component, those sorts of things. Our engineering team will look at, for example, engines. We'll go to an engine shop. We'll, we'll do a very, very controlled disassembly of those engines, working through everything to make sure everything is as it should have been pre-accident. Do you end up, um, like, with that engine part, the investigation there, is there, like, photos taken all the way through, like, in terms of the evidence that you end up with? Is there a, is there everything documented? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we do... Um, we run like a fairly, I'll call it a generic check, we say, for a piston engine or for a turbine. And we'll, we'll have our set procedures we need to go through. And each little step along the way, we'll, we'll discuss it with the team, what we're going to do next. We'll, when we get the engine into the, the shop, we we photograph it once it's still wrapped up and then we'll unwrap it and then we'll photograph it, do detailed photographs all over, over the engine again. And we'll whack it in the stand and we'll do some more photographs and then we'll have, as we discuss through which bit we're going to do, controlled step by step, we'll, we'll go and pull a component off and we'll either video it or photograph it as it's coming apart. And then as we separate components across a bench, we may number them or label everything to just to aid with our photographs. So you know, at the end of an investigation, you know, it's not unusual to have a couple of hours on photographs from between the accident site and when you go and do like these engine examinations or the metallurgical examinations in the lab in Canberra. Yeah, I can, things. So I can only imagine. Very, yeah, and th those photographs are invaluable as well. So as time goes by, obviously, your own memory starts to slip a little. That's where that investigation, uh, sorry, that the photograph is great. You can go back and have a look at it just to refresh your memory about how things were there. So, and your notes, your notes are really, we do lots and lots of notes and quite often you'll see investigators walking around talking in the voice recorders, those sorts of things, just recording their notes on the go that way. So not that we're crazy and like to talk to ourselves, it's just we you know, like to get everything down at the time. You know, so there's, well, we can't, we can't afford to guess, we need to, we can only use factual information. So it's very, very important to us, critical to the investigations. Specifically with uh, helicopter, I guess, wreckage or, or um, what's left over after a crash there, what are some of the things like in terms of determining the RPM at the, at the time of impact? Uh, I guess, you know, you can see how much of the, the blaze is still intact, but what are some of the things that you use to, to reverse engineer what the RPM was when it hit the ground? Yeah, so determining an exact RPM can be quite difficult, but the Figuring out whether it was under power or not under power is probably an, an easier way of looking at things, but simple, not simple things, but things like slash, blade, uh, slash marks made in the ground by the, the main rotor system, damage to the main rotor blades, as in have they, where have they fractured or where have they bent? Have they, have they bent up? Have they bent down? Are there compression wrinkles or tension wrinkles? Things like squirrels and dolphins with their starflets as they give some really good signatures about whether um, you've had a low rotor failure, oh, sorry, a, a low rotor incident, the way the starflet fractures or a rotor strike, the way it fractures. There are lots of little signatures that you pick up along the way, but it's, um, you know, a lot of it's to do with the way, the way everything's come apart or the way everything's bent or broken, yeah. 
is that just purely from experience of being on site at different crashes or do you actually get components and and take them to failure to see what it looks like under controlled conditions how do you build up that sort of experience of knowing what sort of damage relates to what scenario it's um well you obviously build up a lot of your own experience from doing on sites but also too you learn a lot from your mentors when you when you first join the bureau and all you are you're right through the bureau you have a mentor that you work with and you're always learning from them we're always learning from each other we do lessons learned and all those sorts of things with each investigation and we always talk them through with other investigators but we talk to international bodies as well we talk to the manufacturers because the manufacturers see a lot of these things as well they, particularly in the states they attend a lot of a lot of the accidents that involve their aircraft fleet and textbooks and we we ran our own in-house training for investigators which is now we partnered with rmit who now do that so through those training programs you're always learning these things and joining a lot of dots and using a lot of specialties within your own organization like if you'll be talking to the aeronautical engineers and you'll be talking to your materials failure people or material specialists all those and you, you get a real appreciation of what, what these things have gone through to end up in the state that they are you mentioned and just also can be, can, sorry just comparing back to other investigations as well we keep a pretty good database of all those sorts of things you you go back to similar sort of accidents and you do the same thing with like bodies around the world like NTSB or AAIB or the like, just you know, work through what they've done as well. Rob, right back at the start, you spoke about the sort of the team members who you're working with and available in Canberra uh, to the ATSB. You mentioned there that I guess the, whether they're electrical engineers or, or what their actual background is, who are now dealing with the sort of the chips and some of the digital side of things. Has that been a, a kind of change in the time you've been there? to incorporate more of the people with that sort of skill set and, and you know, how, how things sort of changed in that time? But, um, even when I joined, we had a, quite a strong cohort in that, se- in that section that would deal with the recorders and chip recovery, all that sort of stuff. And some of those guys have done some amazing work and have gone on to be world leaders for recovery and some of this stuff. But, you know, they spent a lot of time. But it's, it's quite a... A large group around the world where all the from all investigation bodies all all these experts in this like electrical engineers etc all get together and share concepts and ideas and ways to, to work forward so it's just something that's constantly evolving and i know our guys were doing some wonderful work with iphones and ipads well they have been for a long time now and you know working with other bodies like taiwan and they've been able to work some wonders with doing recovery out of this so it's I, I guess in my career with the OTSB, they've always been there. It's just, I guess, as technology evolves, so today, and we see we're seeing more things like glass pockets, like your, your garments and dynons, all those style of things. With, with the information that you're actually able to recover from them now, it's just a phenomenal amount of data. And from an investigator's perspective, it's it's hitting the jackpot with actually giving you some quite good information. Whereas in the past, you you're relying on slap marks on instrument faces or um, damage on gyros within attitude indicators or the like, you know, whether they were spinning or not or whether, where things got caged during an accident sequence or, or physically just trying to work down to how, how things pressed into the ground when it's arrived at an accident site. So obviously we don't discard all that 
I guess, old school type, type way of working through accidents. We, yeah. you, you still need to corroborate everything you're seeing. We, we always, we're always looking for more information to just back up exactly what you've found. So, but yeah, having the, the amount of rich data that is available, and we would never ever 100% rely on that. As in, we rock up an accident site, oh good, it's got a, a Garmin G1000 and it will, um, we know we can get some information out of that. We won't worry about doing anything else. We would never do that. It's, Okay, let's go back to basics. Let's work the accident site, and then when we get get all this information back to to Canberra, then we'll um, yeah, see what we can do with that. There's a saying that we've pretty much invented all the different ways of of crashing helicopters. There might be different uh, variations on that, but a lot of time it's the same things happening over and over again. In the time that you've been there in the role, is there a top three or a top four things that if you have a chance to sit down in the hangar or if you're talking with a group of aircrew or a, a helicopter sort of audience, what, what are the things that just keep happening over and over again that either the ATSB sort of highlights or just in your own experience? You know, if someone's worried about having a, a long and fruitful helicopter career, what are the, the, the key couple of things that are going to keep people safe? Key couple of things. Well, the first one the, um, that we do see popping up Quite often is either VFR under IMC or the VFR under Dark Knights. And I was the investigator in charge for the ABC helicopter accident out at Lake Air. So I'm quite passionate about getting the message out about that, that safety aspect. Low level flying on wire strikes. And the other one would be just, if, if I get through, the other one would be a, um, knowing your machine's performance and, and keeping within that. Don't don't go pushing it beyond, or you've seen Billy Blogs go and do something else with the machine and think that that's you can do that. Just you, you've got a great flight manual. It's been developed out of a lot of experience, and you, you get some great flying instructors along the way here in part with ATM. So yeah, just just fly fly to your capability and fly to the machine's capability. And they're not like earth-shattering reveals. Like no. I mean, they're no. they're pretty like they're things that everyone knows about. And it's it's just those instances, and uh, for whatever reasons that uh, they occur, and I guess maybe the performance one, but it's still a bad thing. None of those are mechanical; they're all human inputs to an accident. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. And look, um, we we do see the odd mechanical thing, but I guess it's pretty important. Also, no, no one wakes up in the morning and think I'm going to have an accident. There's always a a long line of things that just line up. Everyone knows the Swiss cheese analogy where all those little holes will happen to just line up at exactly the right time. So it's just keeping on top of those and your your own mental checklist about you know, your own capabilities and what particular space you need to be in at what particular time. Do you really need to be there? Mm. Well, Rob, thank you. That was, yeah, really all we're after is just a, a little bit, one to cover the, the call for information there on ground handling damage to, to the rear section of, of Robinson. So if people have any information to, it might uh, help just fill in a, a data set there for the ATSB. And then, yeah, just a, a quick touch there on, on the investigation process. Is there any other resources that you want to point people towards in terms of ATSB? I know it's like a, a, is it a top 10 or, the, I mean, I know there's a couple of different resources there. Is there anything in particular for a helicopter audience you'd recommend people go and check out? No, look, um, I, I think just if you're developing your own um, your own information, I guess, and for what you might want to pass on to students or other co-workers you're with, got a lot of great stuff on the ATSB website, so please go and have a look at that. But 
but also um, they're on all the socials as well. So like uh, our Facebook, Twitter, Insta, YouTube, and LinkedIn. So please go and have a look and follow us on those things. Here, our, our reports come out, and I genuinely believe they are worth a read. So um, yeah, please make the most of it. That's brilliant, Rob. Thank you really, really much for your time. It's uh, it's hugely appreciated. Yep, yeah, no problem at all, Mick. Thanks for the time. Let me uh, talk all things ATSB. A big thanks again to Rob Chopin, Manager Safety Transport for the ATSB here in Brisbane, Queensland. For all the links to things we've discussed in the episode, jump onto the Rotary Wing Show website and look for episode 107. That will get you to the ATSB articles, their social media sites, and the call for information about Robinson-type helicopters ground handling incidents. So please, if you do have any info about the frequency of ground handling yet damaged to the rear of the helicopters or photos of damage, then dealing with the ATSB is really easy and very confidential. As careful as I've tried to be over the years, there has still been times that I've bumped things moving in or out of a crowded hangar. So it, it does happen. It probably didn't help that we must have had the, the only hangar in the country, if not the world, with the, a speed bump at the front of the entrance. We've just finished school holidays here. I've had a, a great break. Uh, we took the family on a road trip and headed north to Mackay uh, for almost uh, the whole two weeks. I got my helicopter fix in too, which is the first time in a, in a few months that I've sat in a helicopter. I got to see the 135, the 109s, the AS350 and a Bell 429 that operate out of Mackay doing the marine pilot transfer out to the ships off the coast. I had the chance to catch up with past podcast guests, Nathan Coyle and Taryn Ryan, and then also Pete and Sean. Uh, all of them are at the Aviator Group. I caught up with uh, Jeff at Flyon and had dinner with Kev from CQ Rescue. Bumped into Will and Glenn, two awesome chaps who are maintainers for Aeropower, who are up in Mackay at the same time servicing one of their machines. That was a, a lot of fun, and thanks to everyone for showing me around. This episode was brought to you by the, the following incredibly good-looking and talented aviator legends. We've got Josh, Matt, David, Max, Mark, Ian, Hal, Stephen, Alidar, Ben, Jeff, Mike, Bill, Jason, Brent, Michael, AJ, Mark, Shannon, Kirillin, Eric, Jake, Chris, Gareth, John, Heath, Kevin, Tony, Peter, Jason, Michael, and Riddell. Thank you, gang, for the support that you give me and the show to help cover the cost of getting these episodes out there. Hopefully there are people benefiting from them and you are a big part of making that happen. If you get some value yourself and you want to help others access the episodes, one, I guess share a link or tell them about the show. And two, if you're in a position to, chip in a, a couple of bucks, then that is really appreciated. Have a, a look at rotarywingshow.com forward slash support. Okay, till next time, wishing you all the best. Cheers. <laughs>